This is Norman John on BIM and Project Control, where we discuss all things building information modeling, project control, and emerging technologies in the construction industry. Good day, listeners. This is John. This is Norm. And this is Norm and John on BIM and Project Controls. Yeah, good to have you, uh, James, uh, on this beautiful day in our city in Seattle and a nice evening there in uh, in the UK. So, yep, I asked John, hey, John, um, would you want me to invite James to discuss about 4D BIM? And he was so excited about this because um, he's gearing towards um, implementation of BIM uh, and project controls. As for me, as we talked about before, James, we discussed about 4D BIM uh, applying in project controls from engineering through construction. Um, so it will it will be like a good deal. Um, it will be a pleasure. And it's our pleasure to have you here um, discussing the, the good points um, yeah. of um, BIM, especially 4D planning. Um, helping out our clients and contractors to go along in terms of communication. So, yep, pretty much. Uh, yeah, and we appreciate you doing this time frame because, you know, <laughs> early in the morning for here, late at night here, because I actually attended some of your 4D BIM conferences yeah, a, couple a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I missed one of them because it was like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, sorry about that. We, we, we try to follow most, <laughs> most time zones, but yeah. Oh, you yeah. can't you can't please everyone. So I, I live my life like that Ricky Nelson song, you know, can't please everybody. So you just got to please yourself. <laughs> yeah. So without, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I, mm-hmm. thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to this. And okay. definitely, if you, if you would mind, uh, James, you can be, uh, you can introduce yourself if you, if you want to. Um, not being formal, but definitely it will be like a a great uh deal for us knowing your background and uh the specialty of you have you have about 4 dbm planning go ahead okay i mean how far do you want me to go back should we, should we go let's, let's go 20 <laughs> okay. years yeah and then yeah and i'd like to know from you guys too like them because I, I don't know mm. you that well so 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 I'll, I'll go 20 years ago. I started at a main contractor, mm-hmm. general contractor, um, doing a, a bit of design management, site management. And in my spare time, I would build mm-hmm. 3D models. So, you know, you your temporary works and tower cranes and things. And that hobby is now my life. So I spend my time building 3D and 4D models for construction, for construction projects. Um, yeah, and uh, so so that's my day job, and then my kind of night job, I guess, is the 4D Construction Group, which is um, a cross-industry group that talks a lot about mm-hmm. 4D modeling and has a few kind of work streams going. Um, and we're yeah, we're promoting adoption, and we're helping people on their journey, and we're getting organisations, projects, and individuals on that journey. Um, a 4D planning. That's excellent. Yeah, I really enjoyed those conferences. I, I learned a lot. I myself come from a, more of an estimating background, but I'm a huge proponent of BIM, and I'm in the throes of learning more about scheduling. Um, I'm a member of AACE International, which Norm is also, and I'm signing for my PSP. Uh, 
Yeah, and so uh, we'll put a link in uh, to that 40. Uh, what, what's a, the name of the group again? What's the official name? So that's the uh, 4D Construction Group. Yeah, so I'll, yeah, we'll put a link in our description here because I, I, I'm a, now I follow that group. It's really great things that your, your group's doing. One of the things I really liked about uh, that conference was the, that maturity matrix target. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That yeah. That, that was really yeah. interesting. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I won't do anything near as good a job as Christina does because yes. uh, she's been leading that. But um, yeah, so so that's been running about three or four months, and we've got a working group on that, and we are, I think, more than anything, we're trying to show to individuals and projects and organisations that this isn't a binary thing, that you don't just do 4D or not do 4D, that there's a maturity to it, that you can you can, you can, can even start with kind of 2D 4D or 2D planning. You, you start mm -hmm. visualizing just in PowerPoint or Excel, whatever, your, whatever the tasks are, whatever the work is, you kind of, mm -hmm. you can represent it more than just using activity networks. There's more than just Gantt charts and, and schedules. And yeah, an example I saw of kind of falls into not all 40. So I, I used to work at an airport and the company at the time I was working with, the scheduler took the 2D map of the airport mm -hmm. and it was a, a, a master schedule with all their concessions uh, remodeling. And basically it was kind of show, showing what where things were working, you know, conflicts. And so it wasn't really that whole idea of that 3d model being constructed yeah. it was basically just it, it was almost it kind of just like highlights where you got work at a mm -hmm. certain time it was really cool because it really kind of showed the uh the client that here yeah, this is these are conflicts these th this is how how many restaurants you're going to have shut down on a certain time like here's a peak you're going to have you know 15 closed or some, something like that it was it's really that visual even though it was mm -hmm. not what you think 4d it was mm -hmm. still linked to a P6 schedule thrown into synchro and there you go. It was quite interesting. That was 10 years ago. So, um, because, you know, part of the airport, they, you know, a lot of airports, they have really poor, um, record keeping with their engineer drawings. And so you get to get, you get what you get. Right. And so it, they were leveraging at the best information they had at the time. So, so we were, so. As a, as a group of individuals from engineering, management, planning, um, we're a mixed group. We've talked about this a lot. And this is, so we'll go back to maturity, but we'll, we'll talk about definition. And we would say that is 4D. That's location-based planning. So you're, you're, not just, you're not just writing activities out. You're not just creating a Gantt chart and a schedule. You're considering location at the same time. And and it starts there. It starts with whether that was a PowerPoint or, or Excel or something, something really straightforward, even mm -hmm. sketches on a printed um, sheet, uh, drawing sheet. That's, that's location-based planning. And if it starts there, it ends with rich data models, using the data to kind of um, resource level, going into safety details and, and um, headsets with mm -hmm. VR and inductions. There's, there's, a, there's an entire spectrum from straightforward 2D location-based planning 
all the way up to fully integrated design teams and the, the mm-hmm. whole thing. And and that's what we've tried to do in the and that's what we're doing and continuing to do in the maturity measure is is help people on their journey um, as individuals and projects and organizations, but also show where where there is left to or what's what's left to develop and how you can develop. So not just the technology, not just mm-hmm. the process, but how you might, as an owner operator, ask for these things. How, as um, the design team, you might be expected to hand over models in a certain way. Um, changes in behaviour, changes mm-hmm. in um, just 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 a whole load of stuff. There's there's a lot of boxes we're kind of unpacking, and it's yeah, it's going to keep us busy on one mm-hmm. of the working So. And yeah, yeah. from the moment that you uh, you started doing that, building the three D model to four D models, what trend do you see uh, with respect to integrating cost to it, and then resources? Um, are we based because it, in the globe right now, in a global perspective, we have a lot of schedulers, we have like a lot of planners. How would you foresee the experience of the schedulers right now going towards 4D BIM planning? Okay, um, so could I? Ju- I'll, I'll just ask you a question, Norman. Do <laughs> <laughs> you start the answer? Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Deflect, you but um, do you? So we'll get to that question. But do you see whose role is this? Would you say this is a planner's role, or 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 is it? Um, is it is it someone else's role? Is it the digital role or a yeah. role? Yeah, that's going to be like a hard to answer too because from from what I heard, from what I've seen so far is that when the uh, Synchro or the 4D beam planning started is that, okay, we have the uh, the VDC, right? The virtual design um, construction um, person, um, which is specifically not, a Primavera planner or scheduler. I think they started that one uh, in terms of experience on the 3D modeling, and then they start integrating planning uh, onto it. That's my perspective on that one. And then right now, some of the schedulers are wanting to to learn 4D beam planning without any experience on the 3D models. So pretty much those are the uh, the background of the scheduler or either the VDC person uh, at the back end. So. so yes. So okay. So to to answer your question about the models themselves and how ready they are, then we have to ask whose mm-hmm. role is it and where are the skills? And it varies, of course, from yep. organization to organization, from individual to individual. Um, so if, if we go back 20 years when I was doing this as a weekend mm-hmm. hobby, it was just something I liked. I, I kind of like building 3D models, mm-hmm. which is weird. But and, and I, I don't find that weird. I find that completely normal. <laughs> okay, it's there exciting. we go. And, and, and hopefully people it listening too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we and we've all worked with 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 um, planners and schedulers who and and who who will pick up these tools and, and get it straight away and see the value in it and, and start going. And they're on that journey. And there are others who, um, across the range, will just say, okay, this is someone else's role. And if it's if it's a 3D modeler's role, um, a, a project needs that resource. There needs to be some, okay, let's, let's do it another way. 
there I, I I personally believe you need an extra person. You need an extra person or two or three on the big projects who can facilitate this on a technical level, but also on a process and behavioral level. You need someone and we which I guess is a planner's or a schedule's role anyway, but this is a little bit more. This is kind of asking for the right things from the design team at mm-hmm. the right time to inform uh, cost-loaded, resource-loaded models. I mean, there's there's a whole load of extra work and extra skill required to bring this together. And it just takes time. You to, to, land, to land this on a couple of planners and say, well, we want all of this extra stuff we want all this temporary work so this safety equipment or your tower cranes mobile cranes excavators excavations all of that created there's there's someone that needs to do that do you i mean what do you what do you think do you, this is extra work yeah good yeah yeah i would agree. go ahead john the thing that yeah the thing i i come across to because you know uk is farther along uh with adopting bim than the us you know, they, they, they have some mandates that they have to do that. We don't have any such um, driver in our market. But for me, like, I, I really want to get into a BIM mm-hmm. role. I, I currently am, am not. But what I struggle with is, you know, all the job openings are you have to have three, four years experience in Revit, drawing. I mean, I don't have access to doing that. Like, how do I, as a person who wants to mm-hmm. get into the BIM field, get the knowledge to get that job. I mean, I feel like I just graduated college and you will have to have three years experience. Now, like I don't have any experience. So somebody has to take a shot on me. I mean, is, I mean, obviously you, you probably don't come across that issue, but if you did, how would you solve that? Uh, what, what, how to, how to learn? Uh, I mean, where, where, where to go to get the knowledge to show the market or potential, um, um, future companies that you have that skill set that they need. And that is a real thing. That's true. I, I, Especially I think, on the project control side of things. Yeah. I, okay. So uh, apart from going to our website and getting in touch with the 4D construction group, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to plug yeah, in. Yeah. But you have to, I love it. Shameless plugs. I, 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 I kind of think so. I mean, this is like role transition. Isn't mm-hmm. it? How, how do you transfer from one role to another? You, you kind of have to pick things up in your spare time and as a hobby. If you're not doing it in your job, you have mm-hmm. to pick up, um, I guess, like 2D drafting first, just learning your points, lines, coordinates. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's so there, there's there's another kind of issue here with um, certainly in Europe. What we've experienced is is a kind of and and not to talk about specific software. I'm not going to kind of name anything, but um, there are there are there are solutions out there that jump you straight to level like stage seven and you're kind of all the the parametric design tools that don't have the the mean we're not being educated with the basics Mm -hmm. just just coordinates and lines and and good kind of 2d drawing that then builds up into 3d Mm -hmm. um that then takes you on to 4d so when when people are entering the market now there's kind of you don't get that grounding in the foundations and we've left, we've left pen and paper behind. That's long gone. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, now long gone. and so now we're kind of, we're even leaving the kind of the foundations of CAD behind and we're jumping straight into <clears throat> like parametric design and, and, and things where you can kind of place objects and play around with really smart stuff. So when you come to, when, when teams and organizations are looking for 4D mm-hmm. people, 
people who can create from scratch or are able to go and um, generate anything on the fly, it's not really there. And we, we've got that kind of skills problem. So John, where you're saying, well, where do I go to learn? It's kind of- Or yeah, where I even start, you know, that was- Yeah. Uh, yes. In that, in that progression of learning, I mean, I, I, I want to get there. You know? Yeah. Start, start I don't know where to start. Start with the fundamentals. So you kind of learn, learn your 2D and then work up after a few months to 3D, understand volumes, geometry, mm-hmm. um, all Boolean operations, arrays, th- those kind of fundamental tools that, um, yeah, that, that then take you on to more complex. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, and it seems obvious. Yeah. But based on the... Uh, you mentioned about 4D planning. The group of James, um, which is the 4D construction... Um, I started uh, the conversation with James. When was that, James? Um, early spring or something like that? Yeah, about a year, yeah, about a year ago. Yeah. And then that yeah. the and also they have started. Uh, how many weeks have you have you started the the podcast uh, that time? It was like <laughs> you you guys just started the podcast before, right? Yeah, that was our first one. We're we're up to about ten. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, nice. and then, yeah. Uh, the good yeah. thing about this, it was like surprising also, and then pretty good that you started the group and then transitioning to a more robust platform where you can invite people around the globe um, with their interest in the 4D beam planning. And you would not thought that there's like a lot of people uh, wanting to learn this one, John. Um, like here in Seattle, John. Um, one of the agencies, public agencies, want to implement um, beam execution uh, plan. The B, they call it BEP here in the U.S. So they're starting to uh, to track the 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 model from the conceptual side uh, down to the construction, so that they could um, provide like less cost, uh, less delays in the projects as as they go through the process of. Uh, developing the design through the construction stages. So, and then okay. their group, like um, James group is like pretty good uh, resource or have pretty good people who have a vast um, experience about 4D beam planning and also project controls. Um, one of your colleague uh, I know, which is April, April Santos. And um, she's really good. She's based on Singapore and uh, work at uh, Gammon Construction. Um, and beyond that, she learned John Synchro, uh, and, and yeah, I've actually corresponded with yeah. her on my, 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 um, AAC communities cause she's part of the BIM yep. group, which I'm, I'm chair of. So it's, it's hopefully I get it tap into her knowledge base more in the future for recommended practices and documenting how, how we BIM, use, yeah. you know, BIM. Cause one of the things we're doing, James, out of that group is we would like to, uh, um, talk to the other subcommittees within our our um, organization because it's a collection of mm-hmm. cost engineers, schedulers, burn value, risk people. Um, the only really kind of area of project control practice that's not really covered in AAC is value engineering, mm-hmm. which would be SAVE is another association. Anyways, we're, we're talking to the plan to talk to those people and those different subcommittees saying, what do you want out of mm-hmm. the bin model? How do you what are your processes for your project control area of expertise and then document that, you know, so what I see out of a lot of organizations or associations talking mm-hmm. about them, they're mostly concerned about the, the 3d model mm-hmm. itself, not the processes of project control of it. So I hope AAC can fit that void 
and uh, basically become partners with other, other groups. So that, that's something I'd be working on. In yeah, you year, mentioned, so. John, it, it would be interesting because uh, last, I think last, two weeks ago, um, our Mike Morrison, which is, he's based here in Seattle, and he's pretty yep. big proponent of value engineering. And during the discussion, just, just yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, he spoke into the uh, AAC Toronto Canada section, and uh, I joined into that webinar. And then he mentioned about having a value engineering and then involving cost engineers or project controls people on the value engineering or constructability review. And then based on that constructability review, we can use also for the BIM in there. Yeah, that's the one thing I really like about the idea of 4D is you get to construct your project yep. before you construct your project. Yep. Because it's yep. pretty useful because rather than looking at the papers as a bunch of papers and the schedules and it's not, you, you cannot see like the clear picture of the buildings being, you know, um, especially on having like class detection using 3D models, right? Uh, using Revit. It's hard to, to see the, the full picture on where we're getting at from the final design through, uh, through the construction. So well, even when it comes to just reading schedulers and yeah. you know, schedules, you know, a lot of these schedules are, you know, you try to have somebody read it, you know, and if you're not a scheduler, even if you are a scheduler, you have thousands of activities, pages on punches, pages, you're trying to follow those links, you know, on, on where, where they're going into the, even the file. You know, it's so much easier to comprehend when you see hit that play button and you see it, you know, all the pieces going together and all of a sudden you see a, you know, something floating in the air going, whoops, I got a logical link wrong. It's, it's kind of easy to see mistakes, you know, through, through a 4D model. And also too, most decision makers, you know, that, you know, you, you, you give them that project control information about cost or time or whatever, they are not technically savvy, generally speaking, um, on reading, uh, these t t detailed parts, they just want to know, you know, the information they need to know to make a, a business decision. So, you know, some are, I'm not saying that all are not capable of understanding tech, but I say majority are not uh, capable of reading these technical, you know, deliverables. So it's just, it's kind of comes up to us, give them that one, I could say that 40 models like that executive level, you know, one page summary, mm -hmm. form, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. the way I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's, 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 that's where most of us started was creating animations or creating something as a communication, cool. usually upstream. But that's, let's, let's say that's 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And now of, of a lot of us in the group, we're kind of, we're, we're moving down that journey. Now we're kind of, we're using this as a tool. We're fortunate to be on projects where they'll have 40 workshops and it's, it's a team working together. So, and then you still get that output. <clears throat> so you still get that animation. You still get that kind of how well, well we've, we've got this for free. We haven't focused on that. And I think that's, that's another kind of important message we have in the group that um, for owner operators, for anyone project director level, who's looking down saying, I want this thing. Mm -hmm. It's not wanting the animation. It's not wanting the thing that you're going to have when you're building it. It's having something six months, nine months, two years beforehand <clears throat> that you're, you're doing it for long-term look-ahead planning and you're using it. In fact, you're using it to plan. Mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not creating a, a, a big schedule and then linking everything up and then having an animation. You're actually starting with your, kind of, your, your 3D models, your 2D plans, 
your Revit files, MicroStation, whatever that is, you're, you're, you're using that to plan. And there's some amazing tools out there now. So Synchro is one, but there's, mm -hmm. there's maybe 20 tools that we're looking at as a 4D construction group. We're reviewing these tools. And, and are you guys posting those tools for uh, people to see your results? So, you know, definitely send a link there so people can, because it's hard to keep up with the, the moving technology. So we appreciate people like you doing that evaluation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we so we will be posting. I mean, obviously there's a whole load of, we, we don't want to post everything and we, it's not going to be quantitative. We're not saying A is better than B. But we are saying if you're considering using 4D for X, Y, and Z, you might want to look at solution A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. So we're figuring out how we'll actually present it, but it will be something. It'll be something directional. You'll be, you'll be able to answer a few questions, and we'll suggest. So, so it's like uh, somebody buying a car. You want these features? Here's the software package. If you want a high performance uh, car, use this one. But if you really just want a commuter car use this solution, which is a bit cheaper and you don't need all those bells and whistles. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and we've got gotcha. you. We, we found, we found there is like everything, like everything here, there's, there's a, there's a range, there's a spectrum from those that are built for animations that are fantastically easy to use kind of game mm -hmm. engines all the way across to the heavy data stuff. That's, that's possibly, that's arguably very hard to pick up and learn, but once you're on that, once you once you're skilled at that, you can do some really serious stuff. So, so steep learning curve, but once you got past that, it's it's pretty smooth sailing, right? Yeah, with huge value to the project. So nice. um, there's yeah, there's some really interesting solutions out there that um, that are model based planning that are kind of you you can you can gather up um, tasks and recipes and ways of working um, that task. So if it's if, it, if it's your, if you've got an excavator that has a certain output level or you're looking at muck away volumes, you can, you can configure all those recipes. And then from those, you can derive the master schedule at the top. So you're, you're building up from conditions that you can then still change. So you can still change those activities. And they're like John, where you started, they're location-based. So you've got a location, you can see clashes, you can say, well, we can't get four excavators at that end of the site. That's not going to mm -hmm. be feasible. How do we actually muck that away? So, so you kind of, you've got these new tools that are kind of like towards Minecraft kind of like game engine style that it's, it's a fast moving world. And I, in, in yeah. five years, we're going to have tools that, that the whole point of this is to, is to take 4d away from the technician in the corner and letting the whole team go and play with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, if you can carry an easy user interface, people, I mean, don't have to get past that that learning curve as mm -hmm. as much. And you, you really, when I you you do you don't want to be able to break it either. You want to be able to move the excavator and change the tower crane, and it all stays like it should. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I really think once you get in, the new generation of workers are in there, they've grown up with this kind of stuff. I mean, so I, I kind of that's generation um, millennials. Uh, that's, that's, I'm the first year of that. Yeah. So I, I basically kind of grew up with technology, but not, you know, it was kind of later in life. So this next generation that's like, coming from behind me, they basically, they grow up with a tablet in their hand, you know, my daughter's kind of just right, right there in her face. So, <laughs> I mean, they, 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 they want to use that technology in their jobs. And uh, I've heard many people say that, you know, to get the younger people involved with mm -hmm. construction, 
you need to actually include these new emerging technologies or you're not going to have a, a skilled work workforce going to be because nobody wants to be in construction right now because especially here in the US we we used I see probably 9 out of 10 estimates estimated in excel which is horrible it's like there's in front of it's like that one's not acceptable in my opinion because you have so many solutions that are so cheap that doesn't mask for you you know no broken uh um formulas even nowadays they're on, they're on online in the cloud so you don't even have to have mm -hmm. a very a big memory uh in your computer you can as long as you have good wi-fi you can estimate of course that's the issue if a good wi-fi drops down and yeah anyway that's just you know my pedestal that's just one of my pet peeves mm -hmm. is using excel for estimating so i mean it just there's there's needs to be a shift to accept technology and if is easy to use then it will be mm -hmm. adopted yeah speaking of technology um i mentioned to to john first this one i heard from from greg Demcha. so i heard from them uh, greg Demchak when he was here um he was coordinating with uh with microsoft with regards to the um hololens so i had a chance to chat with yeah. him whenever he's in seattle so he mentioned about lobster camera and this lobster, uh, the company presented on the 4D beam uh, for the construction, uh, the the um, the uh, online session that you had, James. And this company, John, is this is the company that you're looking at. Uh, they use camera to monitor the construction. Yeah, actually, I I saw that yep. presentation of lobster. Um, but we'll put a link in there again for what we're talking about for our listeners, but that was a pretty cool presentation, yeah. but, but tell, tell the group, uh, the listeners more about that. So they have a little background. Yeah. Um, I've been a technical person on the lobster camera, but, um, but definitely they, this camera are like real time. I think it's like 360 camera that monitors the construction site. And then they use like a panning mode wherein they compare the 3d model. And then also the the four DB model uh, overlapping with each other, so that they would know the um, the construction progress on the side. So it will be more helpful for for especially for this pandemic for the COVID nineteen um, thing, um, getting off from that and then starting to monitor the construction sites. So yeah, no. So Norm was was that only on the exterior of the building? Were they doing? Uh monitoring inside while you construct so you can see the progress of the inside yeah i think so it's typically based on where you put the cameras so you can put the cameras anywhere inside yep. outside, inside wherever, out or whatever right? yep so that's the coolest thing is you yeah. can you can integrate it to synchro or whatever 4d beam scheduling tool that you might have so yep oh so you can uh you can sync that actual data that you're seeing and monitoring real time to your plant 4d schedule mm -hmm. And do is there a processes coming out of that that involves the earned value also, um, or did, was that part of the conversation? I didn't see that at all. Yeah, pretty much the like for example, like Synchro. Not to be, uh, I'm not biased on any software at all, but based on what yeah, you're, just, you're just talking about the one that you know. Yeah, but it's, it's fine. Yeah, but, People, there's there's other tools yeah, out yeah. there. So yeah, pretty much um, most of the tool can do like five. They call it like five D now. The cost estimate, integrating cost to the um, to the three D three D model that be, because uh, integrating yeah. the 
the schedule to the 3D model, they call it 4D. And then right now it's 5D. Uh, right now it's beyond that. Yeah. Er- yeah. Yeah, I think everybody kind of agrees that 4D is time, 5D is cost. And then when you get into the other dimensions, it gets kind of fuzzy, right? What, what's 60? <laughs> what's 7? What's D? The, 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 uh, just, you know, um, there's so many people out yep. there with their different definitions of what those dimensions are. Uh, there's no standard that I'm aware of that really defines what 60 is. Some people say it's facilities. Some people say it's life cycle. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody, I think, you know, 5D, everybody understands. Yeah, the until the cost. Because, yeah, the background of John, by the way, uh, James, is uh, he's a cost estimator. And <laughs> he's yeah. like a uh, um, scheduler. I, I, so so pretty much integrating yeah. cost and schedule um, came up to a point for us to think, oh, this one being like a good podcast discussing about BIM and project control. So that's where we're kind of uh, moving towards, too. So, um, yep. yep. BIM is the right now is an important thing, um, and it's kind of catching, um, catching the trend um, of the uh, new technology on in- engineering and construction. So, yeah. So, James, have you ever worked on a project that integrate both the cost and the time? Is that or is that standard practice for you now? Not, um, not fully. Mm-hmm. So not fully. only, only in a way where you're doing a little bit more than 4D. So it might be 4.2D, let's say. Okay. It's, kind of, it's, it's a cost-loaded schedule, and you're getting some kind of outputs from it, but it's not. It, you're not using... Would, would you say real 5D is when you're using the model to determine the majority of your mm-hmm. costs? So you're, yeah, you're I, really I would consider 5D is you're taking the objects out of the 3D model you're putting your crew and your costs from that and it's tied to a database. So if we say you had an, an interior wall and you added more interior wall of the same object type, then your on your 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 cost basically updates automatically because it's tied to that database. Mm-hmm. What I think you're saying is you have a s- estimate that was done separately using the same work breakdown structure and it's yeah. brought and it's just basically it's it's just dollars. You don't see the crew, you don't see the productivity. You don't see the material, you know, you might have, you get, I get the breakdown of material costs and stuff like that, but it's not a one for one relationship. That would be what I consider fully integrated for 5D. Um, mm-hmm. So you're saying 4.2, you're saying it's just the cost spread, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Which it, is a step it, in the right it's direction. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a step. Are you, are you saying much of that out, out there in the US? Are you? Well, unfortunately, I don't work on any BIM jobs. I'm a like you like I'm in that, that early start of my it's a hobby right now. So I'm I'm trying to like you like early on where you're creating models on your spare time. That's what I'm doing. Um, so I'm just trying to get that knowledge to show future employers to because you can't really do BIM unless you're part of a big team because uh, they do on a big projects because mm-hmm. you, you you need some kind of capital for that software because you know tools are not cheap. But then also too. I'm only one piece of that puzzle. I'm the cost mm-hmm. piece. I, I, I can see myself later being a manager or director of a project control group where I would have my hands on all things, but I still need to, you know, work myself up through the ranks and be part of that. So I just, you know, I, I know I have to get the kind of skill sets to say, I know BIM and then get on a team that a company does BIM from the U S since it's not so it's kind of not a standard thing to do is BIM. Mm-hmm. It's uh, since again, again, our, our, our 
United States is a little farther behind because there's no mandate to do it on certain jobs. So it's, it's, it's added cost to consultants and consultants are concerned about bottom line, billable hours, you know, you know, especially through this tough time with uh, the pandemic, you know, they don't really want to spend a lot of time on training. Like uh, the, the people I work for, they've cut all training out right now because of budget mm-hmm. concerns. So I just like, you know, looking for a forward, you know, who are those companies that are doing that? It's, it's not that apparent to me. I mean, you can kind of see from the job openings that they have, you know, BIM positions, BIM manager, whatever, but those are, are contractors mm-hmm. and they do class detection. So it's just not for the integrated project controls like what I want to do. I just don't see those opportunities. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the next thing. Yeah. You can see that coming mm-hmm. next. Like, yeah, it, it's coming. It's coming. And it'll, it will definitely be a thing in the next five, 10 years. It's like, I'm just trying to get ahead of that wave. Yeah. It will be interesting because um, I don't know if you know Andrew Cuthroy uh, from Australia. Do you know him? Okay. No, I do not. So he's going to be our next uh, guest for our podcast. He's, uh, he's, I think he's part of the government consultant for the BIM implementation in Australia, in Brisbane. So, yeah, it will be like a good... Yeah, yeah Australia, UK, and Singapore, and parts of China, they're really leading yep. the charge. I, that's what that's I've seen. And, uh, so, to, to that point, it's the same... We, we have the same people on our projects, mm-hmm. right? We have the same champions for these better ways of working we have pretty much the same skills and experience the, what the mandate's done here is just unlock that and it allows the champions on the projects mm-hmm. to say hey i want to do this now and whereas perhaps they didn't quite have that before they didn't they 20 years ago it was still we had to prove it we, we still have to prove return on investment yeah, value yeah, that's but you've got that you've got that tick box first and it, it gives those of us who want to do this that extra push mm-hmm. and an extra move so it's, it does help a lot yeah because i i deal with um a lot of people who are change averse yeah. and yeah. when you have that requirement of saying you got to do it well but to what degree mm-hmm. right but since you have to do it it's like to those naysayers i don't want to do change we're like um dude it's gonna be requ- it's a requirement we got to do it yeah. and so they kind you get you get less of that friction within groups and you know as, as i wish you know it was really apparent here in the u.s that these you know it's, you need to adopt this i i really don't keep track of some of the you know all the job openings as far as uh government jobs saying that we're going to do bim i don't really keep my thumb mm-hmm. on that maybe i should uh because like army corps of engineers navy dod I, i'm wondering what they are doing i guess that's a homework assignment for yep. myself It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a funny thing. So, so if we call it BIM or, or better ways of working or digital mm-hmm. working, it pays, it pays its way. If it's Correct. done right, if it's done in the right way, with the right people, the right skills, the right process, it pays for itself. And then past that, you get all these other benefits, these behavioral benefits, collaborative benefits, transparency, accountability. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it, there's, there's an irony to this. That for those of us here, I mean, we're champions for it. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are as well. That we all want a better industry, mm-hmm. and, and, and agreed. And, and what other way is there to than to use modern methods, modern tools, and, and processes that allow the whole team? It's it's just a it's a funny it's a funny industry. Yeah, it is. It's it is 
very funny. It's it's very siloed. I, I have yet yeah. to work in a group that's um, they say some groups say yes, we are collaborative, <laughs> but you really look and listen to people. No, they're basically yeah, we'll share the information that I contractually have to share, and other than that, I'm building a case up against you because I I I, I was an estimate I'm, I'm an estimator still. But part of my uh, experience is I, I used to work in Singapore myself as a claims consultant. So I've been on the other side of that, that coin and just saying, yeah, it's whoever has the best documentation wins. It's as simple as that. It's either right or wrong. No, if you're even wrong, I had clients that were completely mm-hmm. in the right, didn't have good documentation. And basically we walked away from helping them because we're like, we can't help you. I mean, it was that bad. Um, so it's, it's, so basically it's, 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 building your case. I, I work in other groups that uh, it's so siloed and there's political um, power struggles that um, it's just, it's, it's, it just, it's a really poor work environment. My question would be is what would be the best kind of contract methodology to, to help that, that collaborative nature of BIM, because it's not designed to build, it's not traditional methods. That, yeah, that's, so that's another question that we've gone round and round and round with in the group. Hmm. Um, we haven't really reached a conclusion for the the kind of mechanism, the type of contract. It helps all contracts. It it doesn't really matter it, as long as as long as you've got a project that's up to a certain scale and a, a certain complexity, and you've got a supply chain who need to work together, and you've got a general contractor who's leading and coordinating it doesn't matter on the contract type. It always helps. It's, it's, it's just, if we think of it as planning, it's just better planning. So oh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I like it. I don't, I, we have, we have contracts here. Um, do, you, do you guys have the NEC contract? Do you know of that? It's, um, um, it's been a while. Can you explain what NEC stands for? Uh, so it's a, it's a collaborative based contract and it's, it's kind of, not that I know too much about it, but it's a kind of, it's a contract where you put the flag up and there's a lot of transparency around every issue or warning. So it's, it's a media attention to problems uh, style contract. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of contract work, but, it, it, but it, again, it doesn't really matter. If, it, whoever you are in the supply chain, you, you're going to get you going onto a project with a whole load of complexity and risk mm-hmm. and something like 4D is a better way of managing that risk. That's yeah. It. So and pretty much, yeah, this is the thing that I w- I'm kind of asking myself or seeing based on my experience in project controls field is that um, there's a lot of tools available right there. And I think it brings down to the, uh, to how would you create like a guideline, a process? It came to that point because whatever tool that you, you use, it's going to be typically based on on, on those kind of guidelines that you you'll be you'll be successful on because it's gonna be like you have the resources you have the tool and maybe the the budget to spend for the for that tool but typically it goes down to that guideline and process to be successful would you agree James uh, so uh, so things like the mandate you mean and a, a process that's set and you've got requirements that are straightforward mm-hmm. um, yeah, you, you need those, but you, I, I think more than anything, we need a general awareness that these tools lead to better mm-hmm. results, that spending A gets you A+, that you're, you're always, 
And if you're not, if you're not getting a return on those modeling hours, that resource, those licenses, that hardware, if you're not getting a return on it, you need, as an organization, you need to ask the right, some serious questions of those that are doing it. But okay, well, why are we spending X per year and we're not really seeing it? But then, then again, I mean, how do you, how do you measure these returns? Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question is how, yeah. how do you uh, determine success of yes. adoption? Yeah, because we would have, we would have found that problem. So we get the reaction a lot um, for for those of us who are champions for these ways of working. One of the, one of the first reactions is, well, without these tools, we would have found that problem. We would have redesigned Maybe. the temporary work. We were, just a matter of time. And okay, you flagged it up early. You've shown it with your model that does that. But but we've just spent you know a hundred thousand dollars on this thing. But how do we how do we measure that return? I mean. It's it's kind of you you become kind of religious about it. You become an evangelist. Yeah. Like, well, I believe this is better. And you use language like that, but we believe this is a better way of working. And it's um, I don't know how how would you do it, John? Would you you have two projects exactly the same? same yeah. Well, that, that's a problem too, especially with larger capital pro um projects. The ones I work on are in uh, the north, uh, you know, of almost a billion dollars, uh, three quarters of um you know, $750 million type things. And those uh, type projects, they go on for years and years in planning and years and years in construction. And so your life cycle of basically applying one technique of managing that project to, an, uh, you know, uh, you know, adding lessons learned and, you know, managing your future projects better, that, that cycle is so long that people leave uh, and they go to other jobs and that they take their legacy knowledge. And so it's just really hard to get an apples apples comparison project A versus project B using this. Maybe for smaller jobs like schoolhouses that you do a lot of, you can a company like that could probably do that kind of analysis, but um, not on the kind of projects I work on. It, it would just be too difficult. But you know, you, you have to kind of talk in some generalities. So you know, reason why Ben's being so adopted with contractors is clash detection. So early detection, they they know that, well, I just spent a little time, I fixed that class detection. Generally speaking, that kind of um, disruption would be a huge pain in the butt for a uh, worse phrase than that. Um, but also too, uh, it's just, that would cost me X amount of dollars. But to really kind of do that analysis, it takes a lot of effort to do that analysis. And most companies are just moving on to their next project. So you don't have the people on the field giving you data in a way to like, you know, so you have a change, you know, you do change order mm -hmm. or whatever like that, but do they even put that uh, estimate change order in the same work breakdown structure that you did your original estimate? And can you feed that into your original estimate to see the difference between your baseline estimate yeah. versus your, your, your as build estimate per se. And, um, but and then compared to that, if, if it was fixed early on, it is, you know, that, is just not part of people's mindset. They're just, I'm busy with my day-to-day -day job to getting things done. And so to get any hard evidence that BIM and things that you adopt will have a, a positive effect is hard. It's just, you just basically, my, my gauge is, does it make your your life easier? Uh, do you, I mean, would, would that be a huge pain to fix that later? Yes. So what's, what's fixing that now? But also too, it's just, for, for me with BIM and production of deliverables like estimates and schedules, 
can I automate a lot of my work? So can I automate my uh, quantity takeoff? Well, you know, I've, I've talked to people who actually do 5D quantity takeoff of like stadiums mm-hmm. and uh, whatnot. And like, well, we basically, once we learned how to map and, you know, basically, well, I think the term is called uh, condition my model, uh, the quantity takeoff takes a couple hours. Basically, it's based on uh, process mm-hmm. time with your computers. That same takeoff that guy told me would have taken them two to three weeks to do. So basically, you went from three weeks of three or four guys working full time to two hours. You know, a lot, a lot of people are like, "Well, that kind of scares me a bit because I, as a consultant, make my money on billable hours." And so, if it's, it's that's kind of like that's one reason too. A lot of people don't adopt that as quickly as because they want to be profitable and they make their money by hours. And so, but, but I go, well, then you have to change your mindset. And that is you automate the things you can, you spend more time on the value stuff. So you spend your time on calling like, you know, concrete plants. What's your current cost for these things? And basically you make your estimate better. And, you know, that's the things you focus on. And then I can really see our industry moving from a hours based lump sum Mm -hmm. contracts to, you know, because you still give a lump sum to your, your owner saying it's, it's going to be, you know, $1.2 million for my services, but still based on your hours and level effort versus, you know, just a lump sum cost based off of deliverable items. So let's say I have four estimates. I'm going to give you 30, 60, 90, 100. And I go, my price for this size of a building is X dollars. And that's my flat fee. It doesn't really change based off any, uh, it's just that's that's my fee for that type of building, and yeah. you get it done as quickly as possible. You you do your market analysis, and even if you do it, the faster and faster you do it, the bigger and bigger your profit mm-hmm. margin is. And you can still cut your your hours, uh, your profit, um, uh, from your competitors by doing that. So you don't want to do a one for one cut of your your fee. You can still charge more, and you know so you're, uh, but you know just so just enough to beat your uh your competitors. And so you have a bigger and bigger profit margin. That's kind of where I hope the industry goes. And like, that's why I tell people, this is why you should mm-hmm. adopt this stuff is you can make, be more profitable with less people and just get all that automation done. That's what, that's why you should do BIM. So if you look at it that kind of way, I think it would change people's Yeah, minds. it's just kind of hard right now to, to absorb those kind of things. Um, I think people are... Yeah, but there's no, there's there's no proof though. Know, right? you, you know, you have to have some proof. I know it's, it's like this is client <laughs> client doesn't want to spend that much of the money, and then some of the contractors are like taking advantage of the client, and then later on, um, we we cannot do anything because uh, in terms of like claims, ex- in in terms of like uh, change orders, uh, those kind of things, it would be hard to to prove those. Like what you said, John, it's hard to to prove um, to move forward to get like an automated process, automated tool uh, to just get on with an automated de- yeah. deliverables too, because you get your coin takeoff just coming out mm-hmm. of that model, and if you can map it to your cost database, that's kind of the um, proprietary information that you'll you know a lot of this stuff should I think be open. Like this is a process of how to link to a database, but the information in your database, that's your, that's your mm-hmm. money right there. Uh, that's, that's how you make uh, new clients and you become a mark, uh, market leader. 
Uh, but the actual process of getting to that point, that's, that should be kind of open. But mm -hmm. uh, if you link that 3D model, the quantities to mm -hmm. your database, it should be spitting out your estimates right. like that. And then you go into your estimate and then you massage those numbers, you know, okay. Cause not every single 3d model will have an object that you already have mapped. You know, th th there will be some things that you have to remap, but, um, my hope is getting on in a company that they do that process. And every time you do a 3d model, it's becoming less and less mapping because you have relationships yep. with designers. And so they, and you guys share that library objects back and forth where you condition their objects, you give that information back to them. They put that in their library. So next time they give you 3D model, that information that you need is already in their library coming back to you. So it really needs to be a big, a really good com communication loop between you and the mm -hmm. designer. If that relationship does not happen, I really say there's that that true 5D. I just don't think that's going to happen unless you until you get that that um, integration, that correspondence. Yeah. yeah. Based on your experience, James, um, do you what challenges have you seen uh, from the very start, from the get go, when you had experience in the 4D beam planning up to this point? What are the main challenges so that we can share to our listeners? Um, my my personal challenge on the journey and also on the um, on the tools that they, you have seen so far um, in terms of like colleagues also so okay. yeah, and the process yeah. too yeah I mean I, I will answer that and I'm not uh, again I'm gonna I, I'd like to respond John to what you're saying there and I was taking some notes right. so there's there's active resistance and there's passive resistance so you have the kind of you have the passive resistance of all, all of us who would, and, and I'm, I'm as guilty as any, that if I don't see the value in a tool or a process, it took me a long time to get onto um, SharePoint. I, did, I didn't see the value in it, and I, colleagues of mine would, would hate me for that, and it, it took me a while to get there. So that's passive resistance, and then the, what you're saying there is active resistance to change because, because you're feeling that the future is... Your skills and your your hours aren't, aren't going to be billable in ten years because the process is going to change that. But but isn't isn't that the case that if you just don't move with those around you, someone else is going to be offering it anyway? Like things change, things are going to change anyway. You as an individual just saying, well, I'm not going to pick up this technology because it's going to I'm going to be killing my future self. Is like well. Yeah, I think Kodak is a good example of that. Yeah. You know, they they actually I believe created digital cameras, you know, like the that technology, but they they had a um a, their management that had the mindset that that's not what they want to do and that's not what we do. Yeah. And then they got passed up by the rest of the industry and, you know, the rest is mm -hmm. history. So the, the same is true for organizations as individuals, isn't it? If you if you don't which is which is then where we get onto tipping points. And are we at a tipping point, possibly in in some organisations in some regions? With four D, there's there's going to be a tipping point that comes soon where everyone, from project director, owner, operator to site inductions, where you you have a you have a crew turn up and there's, you know, okay, well, where's the model? Where 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 am I working next week? Where where are we going to be in three months? What what does it mm. look like? What is it? Can I can I have some feedback on this? Because I think the access around there is not because that's that's not going to work. And we've got three cranes here, 
and I, with some with some general contractors we worked with in the UK here, they've gone past that tipping point and they do this internally. Everyone's trying to hire 4D people and it's just happened as expected. Any Anyone from one project, they go on to their new project and we, we get comments like, um, you know, you're, you're flying without radar. You can't, I'm flying blind on this project if I yep. can't see yep. it. I've got my Gantt chart. I've got 7,500 activities. Great. But I need to know what's happening in three months. I need, I need, a, I need to know it, and I want my team to know it. And I've got the steel contractor and the concrete contractor coming in next week. I, I want the four D model. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know what question I was answering there, but I think I was responding, John, to your 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 point that you just have to pick these tools up, and if if you're not at some point, you will have yeah. to pick them up. So the That's earlier right. you get on that that journey, the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. That's that's. Sorry, sorry, Norman. Your, your question. It was like yeah. well, well stated, well, uh, well stated, James. Because, um, like what you said, if you get like seven thousand activities and you can see like the big picture, and then all of a sudden your project director give me this information right now, and how would would be the best approach to show me the um, the kind of report uh, to show me the details on what's gonna happen in three weeks? You cannot just show the schedule okay we adjusted this thousand of activities just to get to get to the point that we wanted to get uh, to get to that specific milestone it's hard like why you said james yeah. you, you can't you can't run an induction on a gantt chart you, right? you, you, you can't you, you can't have a team of 15 you, you, there's, there's so many things that you can't do without the 4d model when you have a team that are used to using mm-hmm. one and and on their, their onboarding individuals, onboarding their contractors. Mm-hmm. It just, you, people get addicted to yeah. it. And, and that's good to see because it's better. And I guess it, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, I think a good uh, um, um, thing to look at was how CAD was adopted, you know, because it, it was adopted mm-hmm. right away. And eventually it was just, that's how you do business. I think that's what's going to happen with BIM and 4D and 5D is, like you said, people are going to get addicted to it. This is, Basically, like, like I said earlier, it's not necessarily proving that it's going to co- uh, save you money, but it's less of a pain to work this way. And, and so it's like, it makes my daily job easier. That's when it's going to be adopted. And I think that tipping point here in the U.S. will be happening in the next five, 10 years, for sure, before I, I'm done with mm-hmm. my career. If it's not, I'm going to be pretty sad. And it's going to be like an amazing thing to see those uh, happening, um, having like an, an image to see where we at on a specific project is very useful, uh, not only on the uh, contractor side but also on the uh, on the client side. Um, we're getting yeah. so BIM's pretty strong in the contractor side here in the U.S. It's um, for the pros- uh, project control uh, piece of the puzzle. I think it's going to have to come from consultants just saying, you know what, I'm going to pay the you know the bill here. I'm going to get the tools that I need, and I'm going to give these services to my owners mm-hmm. for free. And then get your then you get your owners addicted to that yep. process, and then and that's where it's going to take off. But owners are never going to front the uh, the bill themselves, you know, unless it's a government job that has a mandate. Uh, but I, you know, for something to be, really take off, it has to be in the private sector because there's just much more work there. You know, they're not major major projects, but the volume of types of jobs and. Also, too, like I said earlier, that lessons learned on smaller projects would be more in that private sector of office buildings, you know, 
I can see developers having their, like for, for example, I think a perfect place to uh, play around with these concepts would be their residential uh, construction market where you have these home builders that have really five or six different models of buildings that, you know, houses that they build. And yeah, you have a couple of tweaks here for, you know, different uh, architectural finishes, but it's really the same house and you're just plopping them. And then you just basically create that, tie that to your cost model. I mean, how easy would it be yeah, to right. manage your uh, bigger uh, development projects? And then what it, it, you can learn from that. And those houses are built within like a couple months. I used to, my first job uh, during uh, when I was in college was for a company called Quadrant Homes. And they're one of those cookie cutter type houses. And they were, they just basically, it's just, it's like, it's like, it's like making cookies on cookie sheets. It's just every three weeks, four weeks, there was houses done and you just moved on the next. And, you know, that would really streamline that. And you also get that, that uh, material process where you're gaining your, your trust as uh, from the, your certain suppliers and just keeping track of that. Uh, also order, ordering it and getting them on the site mm-hmm. at the right time. Basically your schedule is, a cookie cutter schedule and you have, uh, you know, cause you know, you're going to do your foundations, your walls. And so you basically have your model with your schedule already baked into it. And, yeah. you know, and you refine that. And that, you know, I, I that's where if I, I'm even looking that, that taking that direction away from commercial and getting into a, a forward thinking residential play around with those processes. Yeah, and, and I bet it would come from the consultants. I agree with that. And I think, it would eat up their costs, but later on, like for example, if I have like a specific con, I'm a uh, sub consultant and I got like a um, a uh, business, I should have based on a contract. I cannot do four DBM scheduling, but being concerned on where the project is going through, I would be able to to provide a four DBM scheduling if I have the resources, and then eat up the costs and then share it with the client so that they would know that this would entail savings later on on the projects so that i think believe that's happening right now the also these processes eventually they i mean they all should be built Mm -hmm. in right shouldn't they this is built into to everyone's job yep so you you get it's because and john as, as from cost management side would you say this is always true that you see a number, you see a billable number somewhere. There's an item somewhere with a, with something against it. If you don't know what you're paying for, if it's not concrete steel or blocks, if it's not something, we as an industry are really bad at kind of, at, at then kind of signing off mm-hmm. on that number. If it's, if it's $50,000, what is this mm-hmm. thing? And if, yeah. if, you, if you haven't, if that person who's signing it off, don't get it, they don't get the value of what 4D is, if we're going to call it that, of model-based planning, then it'll never get signed off. It's only when we educate and we, we kind of, we, we we have to get past that point of um, of looking at cost and talking about value. Mm-hmm. We know that. But what does that mean? That means whoever's signing this off gets the value of it. So that's part of what we're doing in the group is trying to not not just help people on their journey, but help people sell this idea that's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. like, go and build this thing it's complex it's high risk it's expensive mm-hmm. wouldn't it be good if your team were kind of planning it together so yeah 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 i, yeah, I agree you gotta basically be a salesman not just a, a technician mm-hmm. yeah everyone yeah. needs to sell the idea 
Yeah. So I, you know, kind of, if you've, it's kind of one of the things, if you just sound confident about it, you're like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And if you're not uh, doing this, you're going to be making me slice this bread by hand and I don't want to. That's true. That's it. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's religious, it's confidence, it's sales. Yeah. It's not, it's not technology in a way. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And also too, from my experience, it's uh, if you can get the top people in the organization to uh, buy into a, a new process, it doesn't really matter that you have a bunch of other naysayers, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are actively or inactively um, kind of trying to derail you uh, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's because yeah, I've experienced that and basically you can just ignore that noise and just push forward because again, yeah, everybody has their own personal uh, preferences and likes and they just, some people just don't want to change because it's, it's, it's something yeah, new. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's been my experience. It's just a lot of people are, are just so change averse. It, it's, it's painful. Uh, and, but most of them, I'd say nine out of 10, once they've made that plunge mm-hmm. that they'll be liking their current uh, way of yep. working, but then another change comes and they're going, no, I don't want to change because I yeah. like the way I'm working. So it's just, <laughs> Some people, it's a habitual cycle of just, no, no change. And some people really like it. And um, there are some people who actually push change mm-hmm. too quickly. And where uh, they, I, I see some people uh, where you're trying to push something too hard and you're over-promising. So it's, it's one of the things where with BIM, you got to um, basically under-promise mm-hmm. and over-deliver. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, it goes for anything in life, right? So it's, yeah, it's just, you know, before you try to push it too hard. It's like, so what I'm trying to do uh, is try to work out these processes in my hand, make my notes. So when I'm actually talking to people, I, I can say, I, I really think this is possible. I've successfully done this. Mm-hmm. Like you'd be open about like what you, you can and can't do and not over promise it because then when, cause when you think about full 5d, like we were talking about versus 4.2, mm-hmm. if you can say like, Hey, we're only really doing not full, you know, just be full disclosure. We're only doing 4.2 on this and you cannot expect these other outputs because we don't have it lined up that way. And then you basically, and then if you actually go farther than what you promised, then people are like, I really like this 40 BIM. And you get that momentum going and you get people more and more people buying in. So that's, that's kind of the tack I'm trying to take. And I think that's just a general uh, way you should approach mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I think we're, we're heading out to the close now pretty soon. And, um, yeah, I like what, what James has been saying. It's a model based planning compared to 4d BIM scheduling. So it's, it's much more realistic approach and people would understand it in term, whether you're an, a design folks or a construction or a scheduler estimator, at least we would know the true, uh, the true value of the, of the model based planning. Any um, last word for our listeners, James, before we sign off? I, I think, yeah, just normal, just to repeat what you just said there is it's surprisingly important how we define these things and how we name mm-hmm. them. And we, I, I think we'd like to get rid of the 4D and, and like that, let's not talk about 5D mm-hmm. and 6D. It's cost, it's model-based costing. Mm-hmm. It's model-based planning. Definitely. It's, it's using a model and a, and working as a mm-hmm. team to get things done. It's not the technology. When we when we say 4D, it's kind of it feels like technology, doesn't it? It feels like software. 
it's like you have to go and get some licenses and do this thing which is agreed what you do but that's not the important yep. bit so yeah yeah, there, there is that connotation with the 4D, 5D, where people are like, it just sounds like marketing to me. Yeah. And it, it needs to get a, to the point where like, oh, we're going to plan our project and everybody just knows that you're going to do a, a model. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so it's, yeah. it's versus, you know, but there, there will be that tipping point, you know, there was that with CAD and that from the 2D, taking it by hand and going through a digital um, drawing, I think eventually it will come. It just, it, it's it'll it's a matter of not just uh what mm-hmm. but when you know it's yeah. it's gonna it's gonna happen um so i i'm, I'm looking forward to that day i think it'll be a low yeah you know i just like playing with three everybody likes playing with 3d models you know trying to look at 2d drawing and you know trying to imagine mm-hmm. in your head a lot of people don't have that capability and if you start doing business that's a way of doing 3d models i think you're actually gonna get more people actually interested in the building sciences mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and that's that's really important, and that's kind of what. So one of one of our one of our mission statements in the four D construction group is to is to accelerate adoption. We know we're mm-hmm. adopting. We know we're doing. It. And John, you're absolutely right. The adoption curves like CAD. It's it looks the same, but we we can't wait ten mm-hmm. years. We can't we can't wait ten years for us to for for new blood to enter the industry. The Minecraft generation expect more. They're not yeah. going to come into mm-hmm, our mm-hmm. industry. So. We, we need to go ahead of that, accelerate that option, make it two years, just just force it through one way or another. Yeah. Because James, it, you sound like me. I'm just, I'm not a patient person. I, yeah, yeah. When I get asked people, like, what, what's your major flaw? And mine's my patience. I, I don't have the patience of, okay, well, let's just take this natural yeah. course. Let's just push this as hard as we can and get this. That's true. Moving. Spending too much uh, time um, dwindling on your Excel sheet, does it, does it help? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, James. Yeah, go ahead, I, John. Yeah, I, I just, I just want to this stuff to be adopted because I, I'm honestly lazy. I want to work easier. You know, a lot of the things that we do now is just so much grunt work. You know, I just want to get some things automated. You know, focus my time on what I consider mm-hmm. value. Like a lot of my time nowadays is, I like I said, I do a lot of reviews of estimates that are in Excel. I don't want to be looking through an Excel file, finding broken formulas. I, I you know, adopt the tools that make your life mm-hmm. easier. And I just, you know, I want to see that happening and I will continually push to see that. Yeah, definitely. And then by the next time that we interview James, it's going to be 5.0, man. <laughs> right. 5.0. Yeah. Well, thank you, James. Appreciate it. You have a good night. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you for, for your time. I appreciate no, no, it. Thank you for, for having me on there. It's been great. Yeah. Really good. Loads of, loads of good. Yeah, I really do appreciate it. Cheers. Well, thank you. Take care and have a good evening. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.